Today's video was recorded on February 21st, 2023, and this is the sixth in our series on the biblical holidays or the Lord's appointed feasts. In this week's lesson, we look at the holiday that's called the Feast of Weeks. Now, in Hebrew, it's Shavuot, and that simply means weeks. In Greek, Pentecost. So this is the holiday that we find in Acts chapter 2, when God delivers the Holy Spirit. Now, with this lesson, there just so happens to be something really interesting going on culturally here in the U.S., and I think that you'll see that it's directly connected to the holiday of Pentecost and the message that comes out of it for the Christian church. We recorded this video on what ended up being the 14th full day of a spiritual revival that started in the small town of Wilmore, Kentucky. It's at a uh, Christian school called Asbury University. Now, when I finished the lesson, several people mentioned this revival as the perfect example of what is happening in Acts chapter 2. As we'll see tonight, the presence of God shows up powerfully when, as Peter tells us, living stones, when they get together, they join in in creating a spiritual house. So in Kentucky, at Asbury, what we see are living stones gathering together in worship, and when they do, the Holy Spirit dwells intensely. In fact, so intensely in this case that people are flocking, and it's just like in the book of Acts. They're coming to see what's going on, and then they're joining in. And the reports that are coming out of Asbury are that people can palpably feel the Holy Spirit inside that chapel. And I think you'll see that in tonight's lesson. So part of the idea of church is a group of living stones that when we come together, we create a spiritual house, make a space for the presence of God. And when we do, the Holy Spirit fills that space intensely. This is one of the more profound lessons that we get out of the Acts chapter 2 Pentecost event. And it's so important for us to understand that this is actually one of the functions of the church, to be that dwelling space here on earth for God's presence. And then, even more than that, the power of being in community and the importance for each of us to be in that church community. So check it out. See if, as you're going through this lesson, that you'll see the parallels that are happening back there in Acts chapter 2 with what's going on today at this revival in Asbury. Now, the second thing is, I have an article linked below in the show notes, and I think it's really going to help you expand your understanding of the original context, the Jewish context of the Acts 2 Pentecost event. Now, the article was written by Teresa Abel Haynes, and it was published in the journal Scandinavian Jewish Studies. So the title of the article is Voices of Fire, Sinai Imagery in Acts 2 and Rabbinic Midrash. Now, right away you can tell by the title, it's a scholarly article, and that's why I want to encourage you to read it. There exists a huge gap between the average churchgoer and scholarly work. So part of my mission with Fig Tree Ministries is to help people bridge that gap as best they can. So if you're reading the article and you think, what on earth is she talking about? Don't fret. Keep the article. Listen to tonight's lesson. Maybe go back and listen to it again at some point in the future. Go back in a week or two and reread the article. Save the article. Read it at some point in the distant future. 
This is how we learn the Bible. It takes time. And especially when we're learning the nuances of the Bible and the cultural context, well, it's really, it's a lifelong endeavor. And it'll take that long because you can never get to the bottom of the word that's given by an infinite God. So make sure you download that article. I really think it'll help you out with so much of the background information that you'll need. She really does capture what you need. And check it out. I think you'll see how those events that are happening there at Acts chapter 2 and the church going from that point forward is what we're seeing happening in Asbury, Kentucky at that spiritual revival. I think you'll see that it's living stones. They're coming together and the presence of God is making itself known. So God, give us eyes to see a spiritual revival that's happening today. So enjoy this lesson on the holiday of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, and the power of being in community. So, the day of Pentecost has arrived. We're all excited. This has got to be on the top three of my favorite lessons to teach. It's so impactful, so powerful for Christians when we can see the picture of what's happening on that day of Pentecost. So, this is our sixth in a row on God's appointed feasts. And the picture in the background there, of course, th well, that's the Western Wall in Israel. For the Jews, it's the holiest site. Now, why is it the holiest site? Well, it's the location that's closest to where the temple used to sit, the Holy of Holies. Right where that circle is, that's now, it's the mosque. But the temple used to sit right there. And so the closer you can get to the point where the Holy of Holy was is a holier site. And actually, what's really cool, the closest spot, it's the one that's most perpendicular to where the temple sat, is only for women. And it's deep underground in these tunnels, but only for women. So if the women want to go pray at that spot, they can go in and pray at it, but not the men. So if we look at this wall, now the lower half of that wall, Jesus would have known that. We're not going to get into the whole what's there today versus what was there in Jesus' day, but he would have seen that wall as he walked up towards his father's house. Okay? And if we go closer to it, you see it's absolutely amazing construction. Just mind-blowing. You look at something like this right there, that course of stone that's going across, that's one course of stone. So it's the same course. They, they would take a block out, perfectly cut, ship it up to the site here when they were uh, rebuilding. Basically, Herod the Great was extending the Temple Mount, creating the whole sacred precinct for that temple uh, when Jesus was alive, this was being built. But you can see it's the same course of stone, perfectly cut stones. There's no cement. There's no mortar. They're perfectly cut to sit right on top of the one below it. And the one above it is perfectly cut to sit right on top of that. And these stones haven't moved in 2,000 years. So it's very cool. And if you go down to these stones, they're just amazingly, the closer you can get to that, you can see there's a particular style that Herod the Great had his stone cutters cut the stone in. But you can see these amazing stones being built together 
for God's presence to dwell is the idea. There's a great metaphor. The stones become a metaphor for God's house and the place where God's presence would dwell in each stone perfectly cut according to the architect. So God is like a stonemason and he's chiseling all of us to get us to fit perfectly in the place that he needs us. And then some people are up higher and everybody sees them and some are foundation stones and some are in the background. And so it's a great metaphor for the church. But they're all bring, being brought together because this is where God's presence is going to be. All right, so that's, that's the Western Wall there. Now, I'm going to go through a, a whole bunch of data points. And then when we get to the back page, try to bring it all together. Okay? So the first thing we have to remember, as we've been going through these holidays, Pentecost, uh, Pentecost is the festival of weeks or in Hebrew, Shavuot. But the main point here today is that holiday of Pentecost is associated in the minds of Jewish people even today with God coming down on Mount Sinai, God providing the Torah on Mount Sinai. So we could compare, and this is very important for Christians, you compare Exodus 20, where God shows up on Mount Sinai, with Acts chapter 2, and that's what we'll do tonight. Because in the mind of those first century Jews and Jews today, Pentecost is the day that God delivered a gift from heaven, the Torah. And of course, Acts chapter 2, another gift from heaven, the Holy Spirit. So a quick timeline, and we've done this ad nauseum, but we'll do it again. If you think about it, there's Passover happens on the 14th day. Unleavened bread is the next day, the 15th day. Now, we know, well, a, a Jewish month is that alternates between 29 days and 30 days. So if we say there's 14 days, there's one, there, that 14-day period ends the first month of the year. You have a 30-day period of the second month of the year, and you end up in the third month. And this is going to be important because we want to look at Exodus. And in the third month is when you get the holiday of Pentecost. Okay, so leaving Egypt uh, after that Passover, as they're counting down, and it's approximately 50 days. And of course, that's what Pentecost means, but it's in that third month. So if you would, turn to Exodus 19, verse 1. And I think, well, I at least have a note on it on your handout under number 1. But Exodus 19, verse 1, tells us what month they got to Mount Sinai. So Exodus 19, 1, In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone forth out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Now, some scholars think that what that phrase, the same day, you have the third month, and the same day is the third day. And so they think the third day of the third month, they're showing up to Mount Sinai. The whole point is, it's around that 50 day, 45 to 50 day mark that they're showing up to Mount Sinai, and God's going to descend on the mountain. Okay? So we just have to know that even though the Exodus doesn't tell us specifically that it's Pentecost, 
we can line those up, and Jews have been lining them up for over 2,000 years. So even at the time of Jesus, they were. Okay, so that association, very important for us to recognize. Okay, second, this is a completely separate point. There are moments in time when God can localize his presence. That the presence of God shows up in one space. Okay? So God can localize his presence. When he does, it's always as smoke or fire. Okay? So, I have all these examples on your sheet, but I'm sure you could think of them right now. How does God show up as fire? Well, let me just go through the ones that are on the sheet. The first one is with Abraham. This is Genesis 15. Abraham's creating a covenant. There's a torch and a smoking fire pot. So he shows up as both fire and smoke. So it's a torch and smoke in Genesis. You have, of course, the burning bush, right? Uh, that's in Exodus as Moses is discovering God out in the desert. God leads them with a pillar of smoke out of Egypt. That's during the daytime. Then it's a pillar of fire at night. Also Exodus 13.21. God on Mount Sinai comes down with fire on Mount Sinai. And then there's smoke on Mount Sinai. Exodus 19.18. So you can see wherever God is showing up, it shows up smoke or in fire. And that's how we experience the presence of God. And then this last one that I put on your sheet is one we're going to focus on today is when God speaks, it is as if there is lightning or torches. So the Bible describes God's voice as like a torch, which is a little bit strange to us, but that's what Exodus says. And also, and I'll show you a psalm. And what's cool is this torch down here that we'll see in Exodus in a minute is the same word for the torch right here. In fact, every time that torch is used in the Old Testament, it's only a few times, it's the presence of God. Okay? So God's presence, either smoke or fire. That's point number two. Let's go to number three. And this is, it's just a cool God's voice is like lightning, so that when God speaks a torch, there's a flash of light or something manifested. The first place I'd like you to go, if you have your Bible open in, in Exodus 19, turn to Exodus 20 and look at verse 18. This is a key one. And I, ha I put this one on your handout. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the handout. I put a lot of what we're going to read on your handout because um, there's so much to read. I want to make sure you have it available quickly. Okay, so Exodus 20. God uh, just delivered the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Israelites are at the base of the mountain. And then there's a very strange sentence. And what's so cool about this is whenever the sages of Israel recognize a little detail that seems like makes you scratch your head, What's going on there? Why doesn't that quite line up? They say, aha, there's something to be discovered there. God 
put something in the text to make us look, to pay, make us pay attention. And so we got to look right there and then try to figure out what God means by that. So here's what it says, Exodus 20:18. Now this translation says, all the people perceived the thunderings. The word though is to see. So your Bible might say, all the people saw the thunderings. Now, how do you see thunder? This is what they get. This is how excited they get. How do we see thunder? And then you notice thunderings, plural. Why is it plural? And the underlying word to that is a word, kolot, that's plural. The, the, in the singular, kol, it just means voice. So you have, sorry, you have the voice of God, and they could see the voice of God. Now, how does that work? And not only voice of God, voices of God. So all the people, people perceived, or they saw the thunderings and the lightnings, the torches, right? And that thunderings is voices. So the voice of God is somehow, or was at Mount Sinai, perceptible, not only to the ears, but to the eyes. And it's a mystery, but this is what's going to drive us down into this whole Pentecost event, okay? So that's one of the main, if this is an important verse to recognize that something strange is happening, and when we see that something strange, that's where we focus our attention, okay? So if you look at the next one I have on your sheet, the next example, it's Psalm 29.7, and I'll do this one quicker because it's on your sheet. If you want to look it up later, you can look it up. But it says, the voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. And so somehow, the Lord's voice becomes visible, at least in the mind of those first century Jews. Okay? All right, that was, that's point three. God's voice is like a torch or like lightning. There's something perceptible about it, even to the human eye. Okay, next. Number four, God's presence dwells in a house. Okay? Now, before we start that, we have to remember that the whole plan of the Bible is a plan of redemption, and it has to do with the Father's house. The presence of God dwelling, right? So we look, we've done this before. I have on your sheet there, right on the first part under uh, number four, is the, uh, the definition of redemption, right? And Exodus is a picture of redemption. The holidays are a mural of redemption. And so if we said, well, hey, if we go to the book of Exodus, you see redemption in action, in narrative form, right? We started out, the presence of God was missing. The people were enslaved, and there's no place for God to dwell with his people. And that's what God wants, just like Adam and Eve, and just like Revelation 21 and 22, when the presence of God is going to dwell with his people. But when we get to the end of Exodus, what do we see? Exodus 40. Ah, we're going to read this in a second. The presence of God is so intense, Moses can't go inside the tent. The people of God are all around in the camp. God is finally back in his people. And God is in his place, in the tabernacle, with his people. That's the picture of redemption, that one day all of us will be back dwelling with God. But God wants it to start right now. 
Let's build a space for you, for me to dwell with you. Whether that space is a Sabbath, whether that is a space in your heart, whether it's the church community that you live in. Okay, so we get to the end of Exodus, and we see that the presence of God, they finish the tabernacle, and the presence of God comes down and dwells intensely. So if, if you're in Exodus uh, 20, turn to the end of Exodus, Exodus 40. So it's, the, it's almost the very last few sentences of the book of Exodus. So basically, Moses is going to set up the, the courtyard, and he sets up the tabernacle. And then the text says, and so Moses finished his work. The moment Moses finishes creating a space for God, boom, the presence of God comes flooding in. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting, right? The the glory of the Lord is in the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And we're going to see this repeated as we move forward in the history of Israel, okay? So God wants to dwell with his people. Well, first it was in a tent. Then David says, you know, I live in this nice building. God's still living in a tent. Why don't we build him a house? Basically, God says, no, your son's going to build it. So Solomon builds the temple. This one's on your sheet. I'm going to go a little bit faster just to make sure we get through this in time. It's on your sheet, but it's 2 Chronicles. And you may want to look at your sheet because I put the Hebrew word in there. Some translations use temple. That's not what Hebrew says. The Hebrew says house. And that's very important because God lives in a house. Temple is Greek. So 2 Chronicles 7, 1 and 2, Solomon builds this temple. He dedicates the temple. And the moment he dedicates the temple, what happens? Well, here's what the text says. Then the house, and it's bait, that's the, that's the Hebrew word. The house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled God's house. Very important. You build a space for God, boom, but God lives in a house. Okay? This will play into it. Then, next, and again, this one's on your sheet, just to make it easier for you. Ezekiel. Ezekiel has a vision. The vision is, is that the presence of God lifts off of Jerusalem and goes to the east, and that's when, um, that's when he left the temple. The temple was destroyed, and the children of Israel went into Babylon. But then Ezekiel is going to have another vision. And this time, the presence of God is coming back to the new temple. I should say, the new house, okay? And so, Ezekiel's vision, for, uh, it's Ezekiel 43, verse 2, and then I'll skip down to verse 4 and 5. So he sees, however, he's having this vision. Look, the glory of Israel came from the east. And now this, this right here is going to go right into our um, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. And then verse 4, the glory of the Lord came into the house by way of the gate. And then it says, 
and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now, why is this so important? Why do we need to know this when we get to our Acts chapter 2? Is one thing we have to understand is, first of all, all gods lived in a temple. Every person on the earth at that moment believed that. So if you have a god, you have to have a temple. That's why the people in Corinth are asking Paul, where's our temple? He's like, you're it. That blew their mind. What do you mean, we're it? Right? Every god has a, has a place. It's a sacred place that you go to. So in the first century, if you're Jewish, and you, or if you're not, but you fear God, you come to this place because you know that's where God lives. At least in their mind, the presence of God is dwelling here. They know God's everywhere too, but it gives you the confidence. That's why when the temple's destroyed, it's psychologically terrible. How could God let his house be destroyed? So you have so much confidence. This is where the presence of God is because it's been happening all throughout your Bible. Okay? Really important. So now we come to Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost has arrived. It's the celebration of God delivering his Torah on Mount Sinai. It's one of the three pilgrim festivals that we're all supposed to go and worship at the, te- at the, the house of God. So if you would turn to Acts 2, verses 1 and 3, 1 to 3. Now, I'm always a little worried because I'm about to move somebody's cheese. You know that old book basically saying, you know, how do we make changes in the way we think about things uh, without disrupting people? And this is one of those places, Acts chapter 2. If we take it too far, if we abstract it too far out of the context of first century Judaism, and the traditions and the customs and the holidays, and I'll even show you the geography, we miss something, okay? So let's read it. Acts 2, and now we have a, we have a heightened awareness of what's going on. It's the amazing holiday, the Festival of Weeks, okay? And it says, now, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, Luke just tells us it's a place. We don't know exactly which place. Suddenly, there came from the sky like the sound of rushing mighty wind, and that filled the house where they were sitting. And why does Luke switch to the house? Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, look what happens. There's a sound. It's like the like a rushing mighty wind. It's all around them. And then suddenly the sound becomes visible. Tongues of fire appeared, and they were divided, distributed to them. One sat on each of them. So the the tongues of fire divide. And then it says, verse 4, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. So where are they on that day of Pentecost? Okay? The Greek word, first of all, he switches to house. Now, why? Why is Luke switching? And that word, well, the Greek word house, it's the same word that when they translated the 
Hebrew Bible into Greek. All of those places that talk about God's house. Same Greek word. Okay? So we, when we interpret Acts, we tend to say they're in the upper room. But more and more, especially scholars in the East, in Jerusalem, and I'll show you why, are saying, no, no, no. They're at the temple. They're at God's house. And that's where all of this, just like at Mount Sinai, it's all happening again. Okay? So I know we've been told for so long, upper room, but I'll show you why. It's, it's just context. But let me, let's start here. The first thing we say is we look, look at Luke. Luke is writing Acts. We go back to Luke 24, verse 53. Where does Luke tell us that they've been? Now, the importance of knowing these holidays is knowing that Jesus resurrects, he walks around for 40 days, and he ascends to heaven. And then Luke ends his, his gospel with this. They were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Now, the operative word here is continually. Where have the disciples been? We always say, oh, they're in the upper room. That's not what Luke says. Now, when Jesus ascends at the 40th day, how many days left till the 50th day? 10 days. And this is why, knowing these holidays, you can start putting a timeline to it. The disciples are worshiping God at that Temple Mount every day. Now it comes to Pentecost, one of the three pilgrim festivals where you're supposed to show up. Where else would the disciples be on that day but going to the temple? And, oh, by the way, it's nine in the morning. We know that from the text. It's nine in the morning. And that's the time of the morning sacrifice. Okay, let me just go through some. Why practically? Why practically are they not in the upper room? Okay, now this is just going to be on the screen. I, the printout would have been like five or six pages with all these maps. So this is Jerusalem on the screen here. And the upper room is down in this southwestern corner of Jerusalem. And the temple is on the eastern side. It's like the most eastern place in Jerusalem. Let me zoom these in a little bit. So we have the upper room, lower southwest corner, and then eastern side, the Temple Mount. Now, what you can't see there is the relief. Would you be able to see the upper room from the temple or the temple from the upper room? And the answer is no, because of the hills and the valleys, okay? So this, this is hard to see on your screen, and I apologize. This is a model. I'll show you a couple different um, angles of it. This is a model at the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. Wonderful museum. I mean, it is just unreal, the, this museum. And a gentleman many years ago rebuilt what the city would look like, tried to, in the first century. Okay? And down here in this corner, there's that pointy building is David's tomb. This is where the upper room was, in that Essene corner, all the way on the southwest side. And of course, this back here is the temple. And so you say, well, maybe the people at the temple, like, where did the crowd come from? Because the next thing that happens is a crowd notices that something's going on. Well, where's the crowd? Where are all the pilgrims that are coming into town? They're all going to the temple. They're not over in the Essene quarter. And 
if you're at the temple, you can't look out, right? So if I show you this one, you notice the temple uh, precinct was colonnaded. So if you're in there in the temple courts, it's not like you can look over. Well, A, you can't see it anyways. It's on the other side of the city and the buildings are in the way. But you can't see out of that temple. So where's the crowd coming from, right? Let me give you one more shot. This is a whole picture of that model. Really amazing. The upper room is over here on the left side of the screen in the black circle. Somewhere over there. We're not exactly uh, sure where it is. And then, of course, the Temple Mount right here at opposite sides of the city. So there's lots of just geographical problems. If they're in a room, how would anybody see what's going on inside the room? So uh, this is why so many scholars, particularly in Jerusalem, say, no, that Acts chapter 2 event is at the house. And that house, the reason Luke doesn't say in the upper room is because he wants you to identify with God's house and what's going on uh, at that Pentecost event, which is where the disciples would be. Now, one final point. 3,000 people get saved and baptized. Where do you do 3,000 baptisms? You got to have enough places to do all those baptisms, right? And so in the little alleyways around the upper room, well, no, if we, if we zoom in, it's the southern steps of that Temple Mount. So it's these southern steps right here. There's an amazing archaeological park there today. They've done so much excavating. And what they found is over 50 ritual baths. They're called mikvah. And so here's one that's right on the south steps of, so as all the pilgrims are coming up, doing their uh, ascending walk up to the temple, the last thing they do before going into those precincts is go through a ritual bath. It's called mikvah. You can even see on this picture here, you can see on the right, between the right side of the steps and the left side, there's some stone sticking up. It's like, a, it's like a handrail when you're walking into the pool. It's a little dividing line. One side goes down, call it unclean, comes out clean. And so you get a line that's walking through those baths. So where could you do 3,000 baptisms? Well, right there at the Temple Mount. So it would make so much more sense to be at the Temple Mount. I know I'm, I'm beating this. Uh, beating this up, but it's all about God and his temple, right? So here's what I think is happening. Um, number six, well, I, my numbers are off on your, on your sheet, but here's what I think is happening. We've gone through the history, right? They build that tabernacle. The moment the work is done and Moses says the work is done, God shows up and he moves into the tabernacle. That's now his dwelling space here on earth. Then Solomon comes. Solomon builds his temple. He dedicates it. At the moment he dedicates the temple, God shows up and moves in. The priests couldn't go in to do their work because of the presence of God. We saw in Ezekiel's vision that he would see that the, 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 the presence of God shows up powerfully and lives in that house right there in Jerusalem. Actually, in Hebrew, they refer to that place, the mountain of the house, Har Habayit. The point is, God lived in that house. Now, what's happening on Pentecost? He's coming out. The presence of God is moving. And where does he land? Where does the presence of God in, that, in the fire land? On his new house, his new temple, 
if we want to use that Greek word. And who are the new temple? It's living stones. So God moved from a stone temple or the stone house to a new house made of living stones. And that's exactly what both Paul and Peter tell us. So if you look on your sheet, I guess it's under number five in the sheet, 1 Corinthians 3.16. And the reason I'm showing you the NIV is because they made a change from their 1984 translation to the 2011. In the 1984 translation, it said, don't you know that you are God's temple? Well, the problem is that you is plural. And too many people were reading it as singular. So don't you know that you yourselves, all y'all, that's what Paul's saying. Don't you know that all y'all are, the, are God's temple and the Spirit dwells in your plural midst? And this is the crisis in Corinth. There's temples all over the place. And they say, wait a minute, we worship this God. Where's our temple? Paul goes, you're it. When you gather together as living stones, you create a dwelling space for the Holy Spirit. So come on, get your act together, get along. So it's amazing. That's the power of community. Look at Peter. This is, uh, I put this on your sheet again, 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. Peter says, as you, plural, as you all come to him, the living stone, Jesus is the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. And so you all also, you're living stones, and you're being built together into a spiritual house. And if you want to use the the metaphor, then Jesus is the stone mason. You're the stone that just got pulled out of the ground. And now the stone mason, Jesus, has got to go to work on you, right? And start getting the stuff out of your life that you need out of your life and shape you over here. And, you know, so you fit right where God wants you to be because he's building a spiritual house. If we go back to this picture, you say, well, that's us. That's the metaphor for the church. God used to live in a house of stones. He now moved. And we're living stones. You have to be connected then to a building. Right? Where does the Holy Spirit live? Yes, Paul does say at one point, your body is a temple. I get his point. We all have the Holy Spirit uh, that dwells within us. But if you want to strengthen that spirit, you have to stick yourself into a community of other living stones. And you guys have felt it on a Sunday when you come together and all the stones are worshiping God. And suddenly it's like, woo, you know, you get the, your hair stands up on your, your, your back or something because you feel the Holy Spirit is present in that moment. You know, I mean, you go to Walmart, the place might be packed. It's full of people, but it's not, they're not living stones and worshiping the God. So you, you don't feel the Holy Spirit at Walmart. I don't know what you feel at Walmart, but you get the point. It's not just a group of people. It's living stones that are worshiping God. And, you know, I think what Acts does is it shows you very concretely that this temple's going to go away, folks. But that doesn't mean God's Holy Spirit isn't anywhere in the world now. You don't need to go to Jerusalem to be confident that God is right there. You go, you go to Corinth. You go in Rome. You go all the way over to Korea. It doesn't matter. Wherever that group of living stones is, that's where the Holy Spirit begins to manifest. 
very intensely as I know that people have felt in churches. So, this is a tremendous lesson for the power of community, because if you think you're a living stone who can extract yourself away from the temple and go lay over there in a field, and oh yeah, I'll be fine without my community, uh, wrong answer. You lose the power. The community is very powerful. And so I love this picture because it's, it's like, no, that's the church. And you've got to be shaped to fit perfectly uh, with all those other living stones. Okay, I think I, I, think I beat that one on enough. It's such a powerful lesson. God essentially moves out of his house and moves into his new temple. Okay, let's finish up now because I want to show you some, it's Jewish context to this Pentecost event. There's always a context that we're not aware of. And as I mentioned earlier, when those sages of Israel, when they see in Scripture little things that sound funny, why does it say thunders or voices? Why is it plural? Wouldn't there be one voice out of God? Right? Why did they see the voice? That doesn't make any sense. And, but when they see that, they go, ah, let's go deeper into that. There's got to be something in there that God wants us to pay attention to. Okay, so I'm going to show you two things that come out of, um, one of them is out of the first century, and the other one is rabbinic, okay? But the, this one in the first century is quite interesting. They're called Targum. Now, the word Targum simply means translation. So they took the Hebrew Bible, and in this case, they translated it into Aramaic, just like we would say ours is a Targum. I have the translation into English. And so now, when our, when our Bible writers take very difficult sentences in Hebrew, they have to interpret them and put them into a sentence in English that we'll understand. And that's what the Targums are doing. Most people in Jesus' day didn't speak Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic. So you need somebody to translate the Hebrew. So they wrote translations. But what's interesting is, when they wrote the translations, they added in interpretation as well. So there's all kinds of added sentences, and some of them show up in our New Testament. They help our New Testament make sense, because it's the way they thought about the Bible, not necessarily what was exactly in there. So let me show you what this one says, and this is about the Ten Commandments. These are the commands of God, as God is speaking His words, and the words are coming out of His metaphorical mouth. This is how they describe that, and see how close it matches what's going on at, our, at that Pentecost event. This is what the, someone in the first century would have thought. So, I just pulled one sentence out of here. It says, the second word, when it went out of the mouth of the Holy One, may his name be blessed. Now you can see that's all added in. You, you don't find that in Exodus. And look how they describe it. It was like shooting stars. And then they go on, and it was like lightnings and torches of fire. And then the torch of fire divides a torch of fire on the right and a torch of fire on the left. So if you read this whole chapter, it's God's word is always lightning and fire and torches and dividing. So it's very interesting. So when, we, when they read the first time this Pentecost thing, yeah, that's kind of what they thought it would be like when God shows up and the presence of God goes out. So 
I just want to show you, that would be some common thinking in the first century. Next, and this one's even cooler because it helps us understand the book of Acts. This one comes from a writing that's called Exodus Rabbah, and it's writing about what's going on at Mount Sinai. And the, the issue is that the, the word for thunders or the word for voice says is plural. So look what it says, and this one's on your sheet. So it says, and all the people perceived the thunderings. They're quoting Exodus 20.18. And notice, thunderings, right? And that's what he says. Note that it does not say thunder, but thunderings. Okay? Okay, now a rabbi is going to explain it. And the rabbi says, God's voice, as it was uttered, now listen to this, split up into 70 voices. So God's voice is dividing in 70 languages so that all the nations should understand. When each heard their voice in their own vernacular, their souls departed. So the rabbis envision that when God spoke, and the reason it says voices is it came out in all the languages of the earth. Now, 70 represents the number of Nations on the earth. It comes from uh, it, back in Genesis 5, the table of nations. So the voice goes out to all the nations, dividing up. And as it comes back, all the nations could hear it in their own vernacular. Well, what's happening in Acts 2? That's exactly what's happening. So if you have Acts open, look at 2, verses 6 and 8. And this is the one that everybody's always fascinated about. In fact, they're fascinated about it. So they start speaking. And it says, verse 6 finishes, Everybody heard them speaking in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying, Look, at, are not all of these who speak Galileans? How do we hear them, everyone in their own language? And so what's cool about this is it's not just that it's Exodus happening again, the celebration of God delivering the, the Torah, but God does it in a way that they'll understand. He does it in the way that, they already, that they're already thinking about how it's going to work or how it worked. So when they see it, they see that the same thing's happening again. All right, and that's important about that understanding what's going on uh, in that first century. Okay, so quick review. One, Acts 2 Pentecost has to match up with, uh, with Exodus 20. That's one thing. We, we abstract it too much. We read it without taking into consideration the holiday, what's going on at Mount Sinai, and all the tra traditions around it. And we have to know the presence of God. How does the presence of God manifest? In smoke, in fire. And then we notice that God lived in a house of stones. That was the temple, but always in Hebrew, the house. And then when we get to Acts chapter 2, they're at the house. Luke uses that word house. That's a switch, and we have to pay attention to that switch. But God's now moving to his new temple of living stones, and that way, doesn't matter where we're at, the presence of God's going to dwell with his living stones. Okay, so that is, um, that's number six. Day of Pentecost has arrived blows my mind every time I talk about it. So God willing, I was able to 
communicate that as well as I hoped that I would be able to.